You are now tuning in to Nude Radio with your host, Kenny Heflin, and I am joined by a buddy of mine. I can't wait for you guys to chat with him and get some behind the scenes professional insights on today's topic. So, I mean, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself. What's up, everybody? My name is Eric Nunez. Uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am a private practice therapist. Originally from South Central California. So I represent the LA natives, the West Side, the Best Side, always. Okay. Um, you know, that's who I am. Mm. All right. And you guys, Eric has been practicing therapy, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. For how long? Uh, four years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn. And I heard that you have like a private practice going uh, on. Private practice, Eric the Baddest Therapist, LLC. You know, okay. I am a business. Okay. And where can we find you on social media and any context that we need? Yeah. So uh, social media handle on Instagram is Eric the Baddest Therapist. Um, that is E-R-I-C-K-D-A-B-A-D-D-S-T-T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T. And then my website is uh, Um Currently, I am uh, housed in an office in Inglewood, California. So that's where I see my in-person clients, but I also do virtual sessions. Y'all heard that. Make sure to support. We have our Young Black queer therapist here i think that is so important that we as a whole and especially as a community within the black community other poc folks queer folks we need to get into therapy but i've been seeing that it's a great you know uptick at least of people actually looking for help for sure yeah you know? I, I would say, I think during the pandemic or when COVID first hit, I think that's when people had an opportunity to like really start sitting with themselves and identifying certain behaviors that they weren't too happy with. And I think that that moment um, within our history has made people get tapped more into healing and finding um, therapy as a, a resource for them. Yeah. And I mean, it makes me feel good because I know, yeah, 2020, like we had to sit with ourselves. I know for me, I was just like here in this apartment by myself, afraid, you know, and I had a therapist growing up and stuff throughout the years with like my parents' separation and whatnot, even though I felt like I didn't need it at the time. Mm -hmm. But it definitely became a thing when we were locked down. And I know for me, like I was looking for that. So, I mean, like I say, you guys, Go support Eric. He has his website. You know, we'll talk about it again at the end of the episode. But before you uh, do, also make sure to follow New Radio streaming on all platforms where you can hear podcasts and then follow us on New Radio 101 on Instagram and Twitter under the same handle. And if you want to reach out to me directly, 
go ahead and reach out via Instagram at Kenny Heflin and tell us how you like this episode. You know, make sure to like and subscribe and share and all those things. But I wanted to get into some things this week. And since I had you this week, all to myself, I wanted to share the wealth with folks, you know, and really just talk about how sex, casual sex at that shows up in our single lives and how it could show up in our lives when it comes to open relationships, poly relationships, whatever, like, and just like the significance of it, you know, because I think that with social media and with the fact that, you know, even as like gay folks, you know, we have so many different apps and and so many different options, not just with the, the dating hookup apps, whatever, but even just like with things like Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. so many options. And there's so much sexualization that goes on and it's so easy for us to fall into certain patterns, some that may be toxic, some that may not be, but I think that, you know, we might be able to unpack certain things about that. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I think sex is really important when it comes to both in, you know, a single life and a relationship life. Um, I think the problem with queer sex sometimes is that we weren't taught how to have healthy sex lives. Right. So it's like we teach ourselves how what that process looks like, um, even like sex hygiene. Right. Like nobody taught me how to dish. Right. Mm-hmm. I had to YouTube that or like learn from my friends. So like even sex hygiene, we had to teach ourselves around um, those dy- dynamics. Um, when it comes to. I would say emotionless sex. Now, let's start with emotion sex, because mm-hmm. I feel like emotion sex. Sometimes we get confused with seeking um, sex. And without realizing that what we're really looking for is a connection mm-hmm. or intimacy. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, we uh, the only way to get that is through sex. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only way to get that. That's true. Yeah, it's funny because I had a friend that posed a question and not so much of a question, but he was talking about his uh, most recent therapy session earlier today. And uh, I think that he was basically making a point that his therapist wants to know why is it necessary to have multiple partners sexually if it's so meaningless and not that big of a deal? And I think that he was trying to unpack a certain root of why he's doing that, why he feels the need to do that. And I know I have some questions for him, but what would you say, being a, a therapist, mm-hmm. What would you say about that? Like, you know, just getting like that, that little brief window, right? Like what would be like your insight on that? Well, if this, if my client had multiple partners and expressed that there was all meaningless sex, the first thing that's going to come to my mind as a queer black therapist or a therapist of color is that, so you like options, right? So Mm -hmm. that I I like that we're not restricting ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? So that's that's a, a bonus that I see. I see that that as a strength. Um, 
though I think it's uh, it's identifying, though it's emotionless, right? Each partner is still offering something unique to that individual. Mm-hmm. And I would explore, well, based off of these four different guys, let's say that they're the four different men, right? That they're that he's having intimacy with. Each one of them, what are they offering to you besides just the sex? You're feeling some form of spark there, right? Mm-hmm. That you may not be getting from the other or the other. So what is that exactly? And then exploring to see if that's connected to a void or a traumatic event or a thought pattern that's connected to the behavior. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So I would do a lot more digging to understand the per- the perception of why the individual uh, feels like they have to have multiple partners, even if they're meaningless sex. So if the person was, you know, another young gay individual, right, single, or even in a relationship and having outside casual sex with other people because they may have like an agreement with their partner. Mm-hmm. Open, um, poly. Yeah, open or poly, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, consensual non-monogamy. Okay, because you know, New Radio, we love consensual <laughs> sex, okay? It's the sexiest sex. But how would you approach that? Like, especially if the person was, you know, uh, in an open relationship or poly Mm -hmm. and feeling the need to engage in sexual activity outside the relationship. Um, What's the question? So like, say for example, if this person was in a relationship, is in a relationship, they're open. They're open, but they need to have sex outside the relationship from time to time or regularly. Mm -hmm. And it's casual hookups, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not like a roster, for example, but casual hookups, just a, I don't know, scratch that itch. I see it just as that scratching Mm -hmm. that itch, right? If that's an agreement that you've made with your partner, that whenever you have an itch, you get to scratch it. Mm-hmm. then that's what you're doing. I feel that. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Now, I would explore more around what are the rules and regulations of this of this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Of this openness, so that I get an understanding if you're, you know, um, staying within the perimeters of the rules and standards that you and your partner have stated, or if you're going outside of that. If you're going mm-hmm. outside of that, then I would explore a little bit more around that to see why we're operating that way. And would you say, like, if you had that and maybe you have had something similar like that or something right on this on spot, but how do you go about the questioning and not having it come off as like maybe judgment or anything like how do you keep like a neutral, how do you keep like a neutral uh, tone of voice, face? body gestures, everything, so that they don't feel yeah. as if they're not in a safe space to disclose. Well, I have RBF, so that's good. Mm. I have rested bitch face. So that's right. when, <laughs> when there are certain stories or traumatic events or things that I'm hearing, right, that shouldn't get a reaction, right, mm-hmm. I make sure that there's no reaction there so they don't see it on my face. They just see this, like, neutral tone individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a, a good thing. I think to have these deep level of conversations, right, you have to build rapport with someone. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure that I feel as though that you are perceiving me as your therapist and not an individual who is throwing shade. Because I've had that happen before, right? I've had that mm-hmm. happen where a client who was a queer black man thought that I was throwing shade. And I, you know, I don't, 
I, I throw shade for free, you know? So I don't need to get paid to throw shade. Like, that's not why I'm here. And like, I had to like break that down mm-hmm. for him. Is it like, you're, you're, that means you're perceiving me a certain way. You're mm-hmm. not looking at me as your therapist. You're looking at me as one of the girls mm-hmm. and I'm not one of the girls. I'm your therapist, mm-hmm. but I always have to make sure that with queer black clients or gay black clients that like, I identify, like I'm on your side. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to challenge you. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. That's my job. Mm. Do you start like automatically like, digging into, you know, tell me about your childhood. What's your relationship no. with your parents? No, I go really slow. So I always go based off of who am I dealing with right now? Who's this person? Mm-hmm. Let's deal with this person right now. And then let's identify why this person, ha- um, how did we get to this place? So then we will bounce back and forth to childhood, current events, past events to identify who we want to be in the future. Okay. And with this particular topic, right? With this particular client, for example, mm-hmm. how long do you think that it would take session wise to get to a particular route? of why they came to you in the first place. Oh, that's hard to say, right? Because the therapy is not based off of the therapist. Mm-hmm. Therapy is based off of the client. So if the client is not willing to acknowledge certain things or sit in a place of truth, mm-hmm. then it's going to take me a while to get to that place. So it, it really depends on the client. If the client comes in like, yo, this is everything. I'm an open book. Here's everything. My uh, showing you my shadow, my dark side, my, my manipulating side, right? My present side, how I get away with shit, my toxic. If that person's coming in that way, I'm like, okay, bet this is gonna be great because you are aware of all of your issues and dynamics. Now we just have to figure out how to change those behaviors. Mm-hmm. But if you're not aware of certain behaviors, there's work that we have to do first to get to that point to then be able to have these conversations. That makes sense. And it's funny you mentioned like the shadow. Cause I hear that so much when mm-hmm. I hear like certain discussions talking about therapy and whatnot. And I know like with our generation, like I feel like at least with our generation and definitely before us and the people that's after us, like we're millennials, of course, but I think that even as a community, as, as you know, black PLCs, right. There's so much that goes into communication that we tend to lack, um, and oh, yeah, not to generalize, of course. Terrible at communicating with one another. But it's really bad. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. You add in the black POC on top of the fact that we're millennials, and it's just a garbage fire of miscommunication and a lack of self awareness. I feel like, and within that lack of awareness, I feel like a lot of us are unable to be accountable and hold ourselves responsible for certain things and how certain things may play out in our lives. Mm -hmm. So if you have, say, for example, if you have a, a, a client, you know, if this client was someone who came in, they told you their, their whole size, are you able to pinpoint their shadow, the manipulative toxic sides right then and there without them saying that they're holding themselves accountable like are you able to like just point like oh this is you're toxic and this is why no um i will have to do a lot more exploring right i always ask individual individuals right is that if a situation happened to you right Mm -hmm. um we always have to question and ask ourselves what role did we play in that situation 
right? If we're able to acknowledge that we played a role within that dynamic and how that dynamic was set up, mm-hmm. um, then I would explore that a bit more, right? Um, through that, that's when we'll be able to figure out if the person was sitting in a place of shadow or manipulation, because we all can manipulate and we all have a dark side. And what exactly is the shadow for people who don't know what the shadow is? So the shadow is basically like traits that you are aware about yourself that you don't want others to know about you. Mm. Ooh, y'all hear that? So like, I know that I'm a fucking asshole. Mm. I could be in that place, right? And that's my my shadow. I know that I could go to that place. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to know that I could sit in that place though. So I sit my assholeness <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in the shadow, in the dark, mm-hmm. right? And then I let him come out when he has to come out or when I feel like he needs to come out. Doesn't need to come out often? No. Mm. Takes a lot to, to get him there. I know that's right. Mm-hmm. Inner peace. Come not, on. not everything deserves a reaction. See, that's something that I've been sitting in because I know for me, if something rubs me the wrong way, I'm good at it's the time and place for everything, but it's going to get addressed in a constructive way, of course. Like, I'm not an argumentative person um, or I don't raise my voice or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of times, like I do, I've just always been the person to speak up for myself and even for others since I've been a kid, mm-hmm. you know, but I know like that's something I've been sitting in and wrestling with uh these last couple months but you know i don't see confrontation as a bad thing and i think that some individuals are afraid of confrontation because mm-hmm. thinking that confrontation is going to lead into like a battlefield or mm-hmm. like you know we have to put up our defenses right now mm-hmm. i would like to think about um confrontation what i tell my clients is that confrontation is prevention right i gotta address this so it doesn't happen again that's how i look at it right yeah, because it's for me and and this I know for me, for example, and, and just like to kind of like cut off for like a quick minute. But I know for me, at least I look at it as if you're a friend, family member, romantic partner, whatever the case is, it's only to show that first off, I care and I'm invested in providing some type of solution to whatever it could be mm-hmm. that was unfavorable or bad or negative or whatever. Um, but it's it's strictly only for medicinal reasons, you know, for us to come to some type of alignment as some way in a respectful way at least and overcome and move on and hopefully not make that same mistake. Yeah. You know, at least but that's how I approach teens, you know. Right. It, I mean if you avoid difficult conversations, you're gonna have difficult relationships. Y'all hear that? Look. So, I mean, like, what do you, like, what do we expect? If we're not talking shit out or acknowledging certain things, then you're not going to have a good relationship. And that's platonic, that's Mm friendship-wise, that's relationship-wise, that's family-wise. We have to have difficult conversations. I agree. See, y'all, see, I've been telling y'all for three damn seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Not a told you so moment. (laughs) Because I'd be knowing I'd be on some shit because I only want to make things right as much as possible. I know for me, like I always want to make sure that we are on the same page. Like I say, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship. It's a relationship that I care about clearly Mm -hmm. because I'm talking about it and I'm trying to resolve it. Mm 
but it's always for us to be on the same page so we don't have to have that discussion again right can can i ask though does everything have to be acknowledged for me at least i feel like uh in past situations it's nuanced at least but for the majority of the times i felt that everything needed to be acknowledged because it was something that was usually detrimental to the progression of the relationship or the progression of uh the friendship or whatever the case was okay yeah okay because mm-hmm. you know sometimes i sit in a place of acknowledging that everything is about me and mm-hmm. nothing is about me mm-hmm. so when certain things happen i question and sit there is this about me in this moment or is this individual dealing with something about themselves that has nothing to do with me yeah and that's the and and it's a good point that you brought up because it's a lot of times and like I said I've talked on the show before about it but it's a lot of times where I've had to realize as I've grown up and like just kept experiencing different individuals that it's not so much it's not about me but because I'm dealing with this person say for example if it is someone I'm dating or in a relationship with it's involving me because it's affecting whatever that could be going on and making like the the temperature high or whatever the case is for sure and i and i'll know this however say for example if they you know lack that communication or conflict resolution or whatever like that i can tell myself like oh kenny this it's not about you is it involving you yes but and then it's also just like me having to kind of get myself out of that mindset of like okay, well, how do I navigate through this or whatever, even though mm-hmm. I know it's not about me, but it's affecting mm-hmm. me and us as a total. So that's something I'm still working on. Yeah. It's addressing mm-hmm. the projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think uh, that's definitely something that, you know, like I say, it's, it affects us all, I guess. Yeah. As a gay man, do you communicate more with individuals that you are dating and you're intimate with or people you're just fucking? I would say that it's a little bit both. Definitely with the person that I'm in a relationship with or looking to form a relationship with, Mm -hmm. for sure. Because I understand that we are two different individuals with our own experiences, traumas, and everything like that. And I love the getting to know each other phase because we're going to run into like those bumps. And like I say, like whenever we do, it's about how we like overcome them. And at least for me in a, in a perfect world, I hope that we can just respect each other enough to face those, learn about each other and not make those mistakes again to have just something of comfort at least. Yeah. But with the folks that say, for example, when I've ever, I guess like the previous years, whenever I have had like a, a roster and was having like the casual sex and stuff. There's definitely a line of communication with those individuals because it's like, okay, well, we met on this platform. We talked about this and only this. And that was that we know what it is. And we are both exchanging uh, goods and services, if you will, mutually. Okay. So, cause like, I never wanted to be like the person that, you know, um, 
led people down like the wrong way or whatever. Like, say, for example, if like I've never been like the guy to slide in somebody's DM and, you know, talk all that shit. Oh, yeah, you're going to be my boo. You're going to be mine and all that stuff. And listen, tell me about your life. You know, what's your favorite color? Do all the things may take you out have sex and then that's it and then it's like wait what happened to that guy that was i call them pretenders Mm. they pretend to be really interested in you Mm -hmm. and then once they get the goods or the experience then they're like all right bet i'm good yeah because i feel like it 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 doesn't have and and again i know and my dad tells me all the time everyone doesn't think how you think so yep. I'm always having to remind myself you whenever I get that question from other people. Exactly. And it's just like, I'm always like just baffled. Cause I'm like, wait, it doesn't take all of that. Yeah. I'd rather people just like be completely honest and be like, I want to experience you. Okay, man, let's have that connection. Let's do that. Right. Versus mm-hmm. you trying to do all this extra shit. That's going to make me think that we're going one way when actually you just want one thing. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for me, at least I tell people and I've had to tell people in the past, I'm like, and, and these folks who are pretenders, you know how you would say, um, I'm like, you didn't have to do all of that. I can respect you more if you just came with it. You know, if I was with it, then I was with it. But if I wasn't respectfully like decline, yeah. but it's just like, Nine times out of ten, I've and I've talked about it on the show before. I can be classy or I could be trashy. It's whichever way. I mean, if I'm interested and you're interested, we can do the classy route. But if you or if we meet each other like on some horny shit or whatever or some strictly sexual stuff, then that's what that is. But I know within like the last couple of years and stuff, especially stepping into like my 30s. I've realized that given the opportunity and depending on the particular person and the and the chemistry outside of the sex, it could potentially evolve into some type of potential romantic interest, at least. But you just never know until you know. Yeah. And if you guys like actually pursue that. Yeah. You know, I keep my fuck buddies and the individuals I'm dating on the same caliber. Mm. Right. Um, just because I just, I, I, I like to build a, the connection, even if we're just fucking right. I still want to build a connection with you. Mm-hmm. I want to have some level of like deep intimacy with you, even if we're just fucking. And I know in the back of my mind that yes, I could care for you, but I can't fall for you. Mm. Um, just to protect myself. Um, and I actually hate the beginning process of like getting to know someone. It's just, it's just so much work. You don't like a lot of good morning texts. And then it becomes a fucking routine and then you feel obligated and then it becomes unauthentic. And it's just like, I just don't, that's just a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I told myself after my most recent ex, I'm not doing the whole, you know, good morning, good evenings, all that stuff or whatever, because I feel like in that courtship phase for however long it it lasts, right? Because it can be a matter of days, weeks or months. You know, but usually within like, it usually stops after like month one. It does. Like, I'm not saying that I don't mind it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I am, I, I want the communication, mm-hmm. right? But I think the communication should come in different forms, right? Sometimes you text me good morning. Sometimes you text me 
um, uh, good afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, like depending, I just don't think that it has to be like so routine. Yeah. Um, as long as we're communicating throughout the day or at least, you know, have some moments together throughout the day, I'm okay with it. It just doesn't have to be so fucking routine. Yeah. Cause I know for me, I'm a creature of habit and it's like, if you introduce me to something in a particular type of way, mm-hmm. I get conditioned into that. So, and I think a lot of us, I've heard, I don't care if you, however you identify, I've heard it all from, we all share the same thing, like with the courtship phase and like the, again, like the good mornings, good evenings, how's your day, all this stuff or whatever. What did you eat for breakfast? You know, all that shit. We get conditioned to that. And it's like, say, for example, when we wake up and we don't get that good morning text, now we're panicking. Now we're calling our friends. Girl, he ain't text me good morning. Is he over me? What the fuck? What's going on? This, this, and this. Well, then we have to start exploring your attachment styles. <laughs> Which, okay. Because then something is happening. If if you are starting to question what's happening within the relationship development or dynamic because the individual stopped texting you, um, that lets me know that we sit in a place of anxious attachment or insecure attachment. So then we have to explore attachment styles. Yeah, and that's funny as you mentioned it because I talked about attachment styles for the first time last season. And that's when I had, because I heard about it like back in like 2017, something right around that, but I didn't get fully involved into understanding what that meant and all the different attachment styles and how they show up in your different relationships. Mm-hmm until last year so i had a lot of time to really like dive into that stuff and so it's funny that you mentioned that because that does show up in you know in our relationships because a lot of times i think um we can go from being secure attachment to then becoming the anxious attachment depending on the person Mm -hmm. and it was very interesting seeing like how that can switch just within like that one relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, wait, I I was good. Like I wasn't sweating it. I was doing my thing. Now I became codependent on this person because I didn't got used to this particular treatment. And mm-hmm. now three months after or six months after, yeah, I'm not getting that same behavior that I've gotten so accustomed to within like the getting to know each other phase. I think it's the connection, right? I think depending on the connection between two individuals and how deep that becomes can change or modify the attachment style, Mm -hmm. right? So you could walk into a relationship with two secure individuals, right? And they have this deep connection and then someone pulls away a little bit, the Mm -hmm. other one's attachment style is gonna be like, wait a minute, this is not norm. I'm no longer sitting in a secure place. Now I'm anxious or I'm avoidant, so that could change. It really, to me, I feel like it depends on the deep connection or how deep the connection of the two individuals get. Yeah, and it's it's so complex. I mean, and even, do you you agree that that also shows up just within our sex lives if we're just single individuals out here? what they say in the streets do you think the attachment style shows up in that type of way too um yes and no i also do couples therapy so seeing couples and seeing how they you can have two individuals who sit in anxious attachment 
um, or have different attachment styles. So I think it really varies on the individual or the two individuals that are coming together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think, so would you probably say like, say for example, you have a roster of, I don't know, two to three people. Okay. Maybe four. Okay. We like even numbers. We'll say four because some of the folks got four. Do you think that attachment styles will show up uh, given that these are individuals that they have a sexual history with, but a history nonetheless? Mm -hmm. And say, for example, if the one person doesn't respond back, you know, but they're on Instagram still and they got a, the other person has that message left on read, a scene, a, unanswered i think the attachment style would vary based off of the connection Mm -hmm. right because you could have um dude number d you know dude a right who you're like okay bet he's good in bed good conversation i'm i'm not really bothered so if his behavior has changed then i'm not you know i'm not gonna be bothered by that so i'm gonna sit in a secure attachment place but then you can have b right who you know that you want more from um and you want more attention and more acknowledgement but they're not giving it to you and you're like okay well why aren't you giving it to me and you start questioning yourself or questioning the dynamic then you're potentially sitting in a place of anxiousness so it really depends on like what you desire from the individual and the connection see and that's why and that was the point that i was trying to make to this friend earlier Given the fact that he could potentially be, you know, involve himself in different encounters sexually with with multiple folks, right? And with his therapist looking to see like what that potential that potential route could be, why he was doing that, and I didn't really get to get to where the therapist was trying to go, or at least where they may have hit in that particular session, but. I think that his therapist brought that up because he may have been looking for emotional voids to be filled through sex. But I think, you know, when I had told you about it earlier, you had the first question you had asked was, was this therapist a queer individual? Mm -hmm. You know, because there's so many different ways that this can be looked at as, Mm -hmm. you know, because say, for example, just what we just talked about. If that one person isn't available, you have the other person that is. So technically, yeah, you are involving yourself sexually with multiple folks, but it's only because you need that itch to be scratched. And it's the sexual connection for pleasure other than your yourself and masturbation. And it could be strictly that, you know. True. I just also think that, right, like, there's options, right? Mm-hmm. So if there, if this individual is in an open relationship and they were allowed to have options, right, um, versus having sex with their partner, they may know that they might take more um, work. Mm-hmm. They may have to, you know, do a little bit more. Right. But if they have sex with someone else, they may not, not that might not put them in at that much pressure and they might just want to bust a nut. So it just it's it's really depending on what the individual is desiring. Do I desire to have this intimate moment with my partner and put in the work and put in you know the pressure of ensuring that I'm pleasing this person and ensuring that my partner gets off and then I get off? 
or I could fuck this individual and not care about them and just focus on my own nut. Mm -hmm. Some individuals might just want to do that. So what you say as, as a professional licensed therapist, right? Would you agree that everything doesn't need to be unpacked? Certain things do, but everything doesn't need to come from some deep-rooted trauma. For sure, right? So I come from a, you know, a client-centered place. So, right, so if the client doesn't identify it as an issue, it's not my place to identify it as an issue, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. if you see no issue, then there's nothing to be fixed there. Oh, I can't force you to see that as an issue. I could ask questions for us to see the cons of mm -hmm. that behavior. But if you are like, I'm aware of the cons, I know what I'm doing, you know, dealing with putting myself through. Okay, bet. So cool. I'm going to leave you in that place. Okay. So you're not forcing any type of, I guess, potential diagnosis. No. On folks. No. Have you seen that happen in different practices before? Yeah, for sure. It really depends on the practice and the individual. Some individuals come from a, you know, that um, diagnosing world. I don't come from that diagnosing world. I don't feel like everybody has to have a diagnosis. Um, you know, you could just deal with, you know, work stress, right? That doesn't mean that you're sitting in a place of uh, extreme anxiety. Mm -hmm. You have moments of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, you may not need a pill or you may just need talk therapy. Mm. Right. So there's doesn't need, I don't need to label you. Some individuals do um, provide a diagnosis because of insurance purposes. So insurance companies don't pay for prevention of mental health. Mm. They only pay for treatment of mental health. So you have to have a diagnosis. Something has to be wrong with you for your insurance company to pay for that service mm -hmm. but the insurance company is not going to pay for something to prevent you from potentially having that issue got you yeah i'm glad that you mentioned that because that's something that we again like as a general public like we don't really go into knowing the ins and outs of how that yeah. works so yeah thank you for even providing some of that because you know i i also wish that like in grad school not only did they teach us you know how to the ins and outs of mental health and, you know, social work, but like all the business aspects of the mental health world, mm -hmm. they really don't teach you. So you have to like learn on your own. And I think that's why a lot of people, um, to, to move back into the insurance company. So I think that's why a lot of people don't seek therapy because most insurance panels, there's probably 5% on their panel of color. Mm -hmm. Right. So you don't have that much diversity and those uh, therapists of color are probably booked out, right? So you have no access. So if you stay within your network, you're not going to receive a therapist that looks like you or potentially has the same representation. For private practice, though, like people don't want to pay out of pocket, mm -hmm. though um, it's best to go the private practice route and then get reimbursed by your insurance company. Oh, so that's how that works. A super bill. Oh. Y'all, look, get it to it. Because, again, this is a lot of stuff that, I mean, even I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of people will be able to, you know, get some help from that. Thank you. Wow. So with that, sex being casual and enjoyment with that, and with the sex being emotion-filled, 
how would you say in your own personal opinion, if you can think back to some of your great experiences, right? Probably not so great, but it was a question I had uh, asked maybe a couple years ago, but I had asked the folks on Instagram if sex had been better while they were single, having casual sex versus when they were emotionally tied and involved with someone. Going off of that, how would you rate both just in your own experience? Yeah. Um, so rating um, dating sex versus friends with benefit sex. Oh, so you just have the friends with benefits. You don't have like little hookups and nothing like that. Like one night stands? Yeah, like little um like little like little moments little moments not really you know because i like my moments to last i like that okay right so i just don't want to have a moment right i want i, I want to experience we love experience right so it's i think if i'm more of the friends with benefits dynamic and the dating route mm -hmm. um and to rate them i i think that's hard for me because i would i like i said i place both individuals at the same level because mm -hmm. I do have some form of care for me too. I have to care for you or like, not that I have to care for you, but I have to know that you're a good individual and you have a good heart mm -hmm. and just like good energy. And I care for individuals like that. Like for me to be intimate with you. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's why it's hard for me to have like hookups when I sense. I feel you. Right. Yeah, because I mean, it was funny. Not all dick is good dick. Energy. This is true. Let's <laughs> talk. Like, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is true. And then there's also like, you know, toxic booties that would like just bring you in and just take you down like a a whole like wormhole of despair too that happens. For sure. You know? Mm -hmm. You know, I wish that can can I can I connect that to mental health? Go ahead. Yes. I feel like <laughs> this is another reason why I don't diagnose, right? Because I feel like another diagnosis should be good dick good dick syndrome. Ooh. And you know, good pussy uh bussy syndrome, right? Because I think that some people get sprung off of that mm -hmm. and that makes them do certain things that can be seen as a mental health disorder. <laughs> Really? Right. So like being digmatized or, or pussy or asthmatized, like I feel like that should be a thing. Okay. So first off, thank you for giving me the title of this episode. Second <laughs> off, since you spoke about that again from a professional standpoint and just a lifer who has sex, right? What is the psychology behind being we'll say sexmatized? For the folks so this is psychology i'm not too sure but i will say behavior wise mm -hmm. is that i think when we are in this trans state or this like um this high off of sex mm -hmm. i think it somewhat enabled us to view how the individual is performing and seeing toxic behavior. So basically, I feel like sometimes being digmatized or um, bootymatized or vaginamatized or pussymatized, right, whatever we want to call it, <laughs> um, I think that makes us avoidant for not seeing red flags. 
mm-hmm. or toxic behavior. On the flip end as well, I feel like individuals who know that they got good dick or good booty, they know how to manipulate with what they're good with. Ooh. And I think that's how we bring out our shadow within it comes to sex as well. Because I know that if I give you this ass, right, I'm going to mm-hmm. throw it back. You're going to have an experience. And I know that I'm going to get you sprung. Mm-hmm. If I get you sprung, I know how to manipulate you. I know how to get get what I want. Have you ever done that before? Um, Have I ever done that before? Purpose. I'm sure I have in like my 20s. Okay. Um, and I think that. Well, I, I will say this. Within my 20s, um, I think I'm a late bloomer. I didn't start having sex until I was 18. Okay. So I feel like it was a... And I'm also not... I wish I started at that age. I'm not a chronic dater. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only been in two relationships. They've been six years apart. So I'm, I, I'd like to take my time with myself. Um, where was I getting to? You using your ass as a weapon. Yeah, so I would say when I was younger, in my 20s, I used sex as validation to seek seek the validation. I think that's where I gained my confidence and understood my power. So I thought that by me having sex with individual and them acknowledging how great it was or how fulfilling I was, that I was like, oh, good job, Eric. You're a good person. You get to add that level of confidence now. Oh, so I think that's the only reason why I would manipulate potentially was to get that validation. Mm. Now I'm like, I know I'm never shit. I'm good. I see that. And thank, thankfully, you're not like that anymore. I'm glad that you grew out of that. Yeah, me too. Okay. I mean, because <laughs> my Lord. Yeah, like, but I, there's a lot of individuals out there. I wouldn't say a lot of individuals, but I feel like someone is going to see that as relatable of like having sex to gain your confidence and to get that validation Mm -hmm. yeah i think for me like again when i did have like that roster of people or just if it was like the years when i was having like those one-offs or something like that it was more so of me just being a pleaser and just showing up and doing what was asked of me and agreed upon mm. and looking to have a good experience. So will we say that your yours came from a place of people pleasing and mine came from a place of um, discovering my self-worth or not feeling worthy? So mine, you can say like for me, at least that it was people pleasing, but also with the understanding of if I'm not paying attention to this person's body. Well, again, it wasn't really me really even thinking about it because it's just natural to me to be attentive to people. And sexually, I realized a long time ago, if I'm not pleasing them and paying attention to what makes them feel good, the sex isn't going to last. They're going to tell me, get the fuck up off of them. And now I lose out. Now we both looking a fool. And it's only because what I was being selfish, only thinking about myself and fucking them for my own pleasure. Like, mm, so that. that's where it came for me. It's like, no, if I agreed upon this, like it's a good time. You know, I'm looking to have as much of a good time as we can within whatever parameters. Right. But it's just understanding that if I'm doing it for the both of us, we're going to both get to that that goal, which is the the climax, the yeah. orgasm. So you you sit in a place of selfishness and selflessness. 
yes interchangeably like all at the same damn time right yeah that's that i I feel like some individuals have difficulties with that when it comes Mm. to facts most of the time it's a selfishness purpose right where they are only looking to please themselves right me in my 20s i came from a selflessness aspect where i only focus on pleasing somebody else and not pleasing myself when did you start making sure you please yourself Oh, when I wasn't getting, when I wasn't busting nuts, when they were, weren't making sure my, my nut was being busted. How old were you? Um, if you can remember. I want to say this is before I moved to New York. So I had to be maybe about like 22. Okay. So you were fairly young. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I had my first relationship. And then after my first relationship, I allowed myself to explore more sexually. And then I started to realize certain behaviors. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh no. We don't want that. Yeah, you wanna make sure you get yours and, mm-hmm. and definitely being with somebody who also wants to make sure that you get yours in whatever kind of way that could be, because I know for me, like I've dealt with uh bottoms who are different, you know. Some have their own ways of doing it, but I'm here to show up and assist as much as possible in whatever way I can, you know, but yeah, that was just like my thing. And like I say, that's rather I'm single having casual sex or in my romantic relationship and emotionally tied to my person and stuff. But I know for me, at least with that, with that question of, is sex better single and casual versus emotionally tied or in a relationship? Um, I would say it's probably 50, 50 because it really just depends on the chemistry and the connection of the two people involving themselves in casual sex that can go to fuck off. I've had mind blowing situations like that before, but then I've also had those memorable meaningful sexual experiences with my lovers you know who i was emotionally tied to so it's an extra umph to it mm-hmm. but do you have a preference hmm i would say i do prefer where i'm at in life at least now um and have been for like the last four and a half years i would say is i do prefer to have the emotion filled sex because for me at least i like that connection i like the comfortability of it and knowing that i have my person i can express myself like that with and they can do that with me and i'm not having to do all the texts and the callings and the you know, or sitting around waiting on somebody to text me, what you doing tonight, all that stuff or whatever. Like, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about if I'm so horny at work and I'm like, what you doing at seven? I may not even be horny at seven anymore, you know, or say, for example, if that person's living a life and they're not, they not available because they at lunch, they at dinner, they out with their friends. So they probably not in the mood, you know? Obviously, that's stuff that can happen with your partner in a relationship, but you do have a little bit more leeway with that, um, knowing that you have like that person to express those desires with and get some type of relief and release, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's that's what I prefer. 
but I can play around in that, you know, in the other. I've I've done it or whatever, but I do prefer having like my person, you know. I I I miss it actually. Yeah. Yes. What about you? Um, well, I feel like, you know, if you're my friend with benefit or if I'm dating you, um, I'm going to receive I, uh, the expectations that we're going to have some form of intimacy afterwards. Um, so, you know, hell, I might even make you breakfast if we just fuck buddies. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I see it as equal for me. I like, I feel like that. Yeah. Either or friends with benefits or dating. I feel like my, I'm intentional about my sex. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want it to, I want my sex to be an experience in a moment. Okay. So, yeah. That's how I see it. I like that. So, are you dating now? Like, where are you at now? You know, being a therapist and dating, I wish someone would have told me, as soon as you become a therapist, relationships are going to be so different now. Your social life is going to be different now. Mm-hmm. So, like, think I, dating has been hard for me. Um, one, I've just been told that I've been, I'm intimidating. So a lot of guys don't approach me, mm-hmm. um, which I don't see as a me issue. I see as others an issue. That's true. Um, if I'm too big, you know, go find something small. If I'm too much, go find something less. Um, I like that. You know, and that's where I just sit at. That's a cute tweet. <laughs> you know, so if I'm too much, go find less. But I think that when I do find an individual who, you know, is intentional or does want to date, um, I think my issue is that I see the red flags and then I have to ask myself if I want to deal with the red flags or not. And, some, you know, sometimes I sit in my solitude a little too long and I'm like, I can do bad all by myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I just remove myself from the engagement or I have a conversation that is, you know, this may not work out. Um, but yeah, I am dating now. Um, I've been single now for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Six years. Wait, yeah. 2016. That's six years? Yeah. No, that's seven years. Seven. Seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeesh, time passes by fast. Do you find yourself... No, don't get me wrong. I've had situations yeah. throughout the seven years, long situations, but it never really developed into a like boyfriend and boyfriend monogamous relationship but like as a therapist and even like when you were getting into the practice and stuff like you had the training right Mm -hmm. so when you were in like those situationships for example like what kept it from developing into a relationship that you wanted but then also knowing like okay you know we're doing this for how long like what was like that thought process um it really for me it really depends it, it's it's all about consistency right if you're not consistent right then let me back up i feel like within my dating history i've always approached individuals or constantly like um i've been the aggressor Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I'm at the place where it's like, I no longer want to be the aggressor. I want someone to approach me and desire me. Mm-hmm. So I have to see an interest first now and, um, for me to like approach the situation. But for me, ultimately, it comes down to consistency. If you lack consistency, then I'm good. Would you say like that? Because I know for me, at least, hmm, like I've never been much of the aggressor. 
I've always, even like when it goes back to childhood, which it all goes back to childhood, which it all does. Okay. So even then, and I know for me, at least like I've always been like an introvert, you know, and with extroverted tendencies, but I've always been more observant and it takes me a, a while to adjust to people depending on how I feel about them mm-hmm. based off what I observe, right? And feeling safe to engage. But I was always like the kid who was quiet, more reserved. And then it was my friends became my friends because they approached me first. And if I was interested, I engaged. And then even within dating and even just like casual sex, if we're talking about people sliding your DMs or if you're on the apps or whatever the case is, it's always that person who makes the first move. And if I'm interested, I engage, you know, but it's just like, even for example, uh, which I talked about in an episode that's coming out, I think in a couple of weeks, we'll see. But even with say, for example, that roster, right. I don't hit them up because I don't usually have time for like the, Oh, I can't, you know, stuff, whatever. Cause I'm like, if I was horny enough to hit you up and you're not available because you have to, you know, clean out, prepare, or you're out at lunch, you're doing something, whatever the case is, right. I'm going to take care of myself. I'd rather you reach out to me because I know at that point you're ready. And then I could get ready. And if you're somebody in my roster, I know I may not be horny. Did you hit me up? Did I say, yeah, sure. Come over. Yes. Only because I know that you would be able to perform, perform and get me there and stuff like that based off of our past interactions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Even when it comes down to just like sex or hitting up for sex, I've usually, I've been the aggressor. And I want someone to be that for me. Do you feel like that's something that may come natural to you? And like, for sure, I'm I'm an aggressor in my day to day. So I think it's just like it's part of my behavior, it's part of my personality. I have a strong demeanor, I have strong energy, um, and I'm I'm big when I'm in in space. So I just, you know, and I also I'm an individual that's like I'm taking all the risk, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not not going to hit someone up. Um, I'm going to take the risk. I'm okay with rejection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does risk prevent? Hmm. Regret. Regret. Nothing happens. Right. I I, I don't want to be that individual to be like, damn, I should have hit up X, Y, and Z. Just be looking crazy. Just got to cuddle with your own pillow tonight. Right. You you just were scared. Because you were scared. So I'm going to take the risk. See, I like that. Because I think like with, say, for example, like how you say, like, you're the aggressor. Do you think that that gets the job done more so than if you take the, the backseat this time? Um, I feel like if I take the backseat route this time, then I'm going to find an individual or come across an individual who's going to be very intentional about me mm-hmm. and desire me. Got you. So I think that's how I'm seeing the switch up. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm the aggressor and desiring someone else, that usually doesn't work out. <laughs> so uh-huh. I am like, okay, well, I'm going to take a, a uh, you know, the seat, a seat back. I'm going to sit on the passenger side when it comes to dating and love. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to let somebody else lead in this area. Was it like a situation where you ever felt like you were potentially forcing something or probably wanting something more than that other person? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. There's been multiple of those occasions when you do find someone attractive and you're interested in those individuals and you're like, oh, I could actually see myself like dating and get to know you, though that individual may not see you at that same level. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't work out. That happens too. Though I will say not to toot my own horn, but be beat motherfuckers. I am usually the individual that got away. So individuals that I've dated, they've always came back and be like, you're the one individual that got away. Ooh, I saw a tweet, I think like four days ago, someone had asked the question, are you the one that got away? And I enjoy it because I love the comment section. <laughs> I don't care if it's a YouTube video, anything, a tweet, I'm going to always go to the comment section. So you love people's opinions. Well, and that's why I started the show, because I love to hear people's mm. different opinions and perspectives and experiences and how it varies from and differs from mine. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to see what that was like and what people felt. And of course, we don't know these people. We don't know if these people are ego filled and if they're holding themselves accountable or responsible, but we just got to take it at face value. But um, that was a good question. I had to actually sit in my car when I saw that. And I said, oh, I think I was like outside of 7-Eleven. And I'm like, I can say yes. I have been, because they all be coming back, spinning a block, and hear my crazy ass be like hoping, you know, maybe things changed. I'm so forgiving. Bless my heart. Mm. Yeah, I, well, I feel like for you to feel like you're the one that got away, you have to identify that there are people that got away from you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think you also have to acknowledge that the other individual is the individual that got away as well. Mm. Yeah, because I think it's so easy for us to kind of take it again, like at face value and see like, okay, well, this person's again coming back. They're apologizing. They're doing all the things. They're owning up to past mistakes or whatever cases. And automatically you're just like, oh, okay, I'm here and they're there. Mm-hmm you know and not looking at it, the bigger picture of both sides yeah i like that you're forgiving i think that we need to be more forgiving within our community there needs to be a lot more grace for us for gay men we have to give that to each other a lot more yeah i think so because I, I feel like and again this is all still new you know and i say it all the time on the show every single day that we live we get the opportunity to grow and evolve mm-hmm. And we're going to always continue making mistakes and stuff and learning from them, I hope. But for me, at least, I'm at a space now where if it was an ex or even if it was some casual sex buddy or something like that, depending on how you treat me and how we are consistent or not consistent with each other, at least, we may be in a forgiving space. I may forgive you. But you may not get that exposure or that access Access. to me, Mm -hmm. that same privilege Mm -hmm. as you had. I may not cut you the fuck off, Mm -hmm. but your privileges are limited. Yeah, that's fair. You know, into Mm -hmm. further notice, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's fair. 
Okay. So, okay. So, cause this has been something I've been working on literally for like a month. So you agree like that's fair. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think if someone comes back into your life, if you're, you've dated them or have had intimate moments with them and they've acknowledged their wrongdoing, right? It's really based up to you how to move forward within that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had multiple individuals that have apologized about certain things or hurt that they've caused. And I've acknowledged the apology at the same time. I'm still placing you in a category where you have limited access to me. I'm going to be cordial and I care mm-hmm. for you. I may even give you the shirt off my back, but, um, not but and mm-hmm. uh you still won't have the same privileges like you express or access to me like you did before you won't be able to do what you did before i know that's right yeah no yeah because what's the saying um fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me and i'm not nobody's fool yeah we don't like being fooled yeah no look i don't look i don't play the fool a couple times but nothing that i haven't talked about before on the show but you know Cause I'm very open about my ills. By your what? About like my losses. Oh, okay. My ills. Th- that's great acknowledgement. Oh yeah. Right. Cause the ills are also lessons. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So beep, we have beep. to acknowledge the, the the losses to also express the lessons we've learned from those losses. Mm-hmm. Right. I always like to say everything is a bittersweet moment. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a sweetness to it that we have to acknowledge. What did we gain? What did we learn from this? That's all sweet. The bitterness is of course the experience and the hurt potentially that or the loss um that we've gone through i agree and like i like your perspective on that and like even like just with this topic in general because like would you say that most of your clients have been in relationship problems or do you deal with like married folks like do you do couples therapy sex therapy so i do couples therapy i do sex therapy i do individual therapy and family therapy um so it's I always like, so I, my, my bachelor's is in uh, sociology mm-hmm. and I have a, my emphasis of my bachelor's is interpersonal relationships and group interactions, mm-hmm. but I really love relationships. So even, um, in my individual sessions, I make sure that we do some form of relationship, um, work, right? Because relationships mm-hmm. are going to impact the way the individual perceives themselves or perceives their world. I need to know your environment and who you're engaging with that's creating this world around you that's operating that you're operating in with these thought patterns okay and would you say that because i know you mentioned the preventative and the what was the other one it was preventative measures and then also the diagnosis Mm -hmm. like you know prescribing medication and stuff like that or whatever in your opinion what has been like the new wave that has been most effective you know, when it comes to maybe like alternative therapy and stuff like that with people that may be dependent on, I don't know, uh, say, for example, if they're coming up from childhood traumas that's affecting like their relationships or sex lives or whatever, is there different routes to treat them, mm-hmm. you know, and is there a space to treat them with more, like I say, like new age tactics yeah for sure so it really depends on um the childhood experience and if it was extreme trauma so extreme trauma of course would be like physical abuse or sexual abuse um right you definitely want to process that to see how that plays a major role within 
um, your sex life, right? Yeah. Or how that's affecting your sex life. And then there's ways of like doing talk therapy or doing like um, trauma-informed care, a CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so it really depends on the therapist and what they're trained in. A lot of therapists aren't trained in all the modalities, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be able to do all the modalities. Oh. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on like psychedelics and stuff? Um, I am a fan of doing all of that. I think that we have to... <sighs> Regular therapy works mm-hmm. and it's great. At the same time, I feel like times are changing and we have to become more experimental when it comes to therapy and also acknowledge other forms of holistic healing um, under the therapy umbrella. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for psychedelics and some form of therapy or processing, right? Uh, uh, MD. Uh, MDMA, which is ecstasy, mm-hmm. uh, people do that in therapy. Uh, there is a, a clinic in Seattle that has a marijuana and therapy program. So you smoke a joint before you go into your therapy session. Oh, um, yeah. So hmm. I'm all for it. Whatever's going to allow for the client to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. um, to open up and be expressive and face their trauma, mm-hmm. by all means, let's do it. Right. That's why I like when my clients, when I do virtual clients with my um, with my clients, always tell them, be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Whatever you need in your space, be comfortable. Just have some clothes on. That's all I ask. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have like my black female clients come on. I had one the other day who took out her braids mm-hmm. while we were in session. Right. And okay. it was like, I just I want you to be comfortable. You being comfortable is your you opening up mm-hmm. So do whatever you need to do to uh, to open up and be vulnerable. I like that. I have another client who smokes a joint and he thinks I don't know it's a joint. Um, he says it's a cigarette, but I'm aware that it's a joint. And you don't call him out. And I don't call him out. Whatever's going to make you feel comfortable. As long as I'm aware that you're adherent and that you're here and you're not at harm to yourself or anybody else, mm. I don't see a problem. Wow. See, we need more therapists like you. Because... I mean, obviously we're in LA and stuff like, where would you say, because there's so many benefits to living in California. There's so many different programs and grants and things at our footsteps and stuff. But what would you probably say is the best route for a single person working an average job to get access to therapy? Um, Definitely. If you have insurance, definitely go through your insurance first. Um, to see who's in network. Always say finding a therapist is like dating, mm-hmm. right? You want to date the therapist, like go on dates with them, not literally go on dates with them, but like have like first sessions with them just to fill them out. Because not just because you see a therapist of color doesn't mean that the therapist of color is going to understand your experience. Mm-hmm. So you also want to like filter out the therapist. Um, and then, you know, if you can't find a therapist within your network, then looking at other forms of therapy, private practices or non-traditional therapy. So like group therapy or um, other be non-traditional or like talk space. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different forms. Okay. Yeah. But I would say finding a therapist of color is extremely difficult. Currently in the U.S., only 7% of therapists are of color. I've seen, yeah. All of the therapists, so. 
Because what you say, like, you know, and again, like from so many different platforms, people are putting a spotlight on therapy, which I'm so happy about. Would you say that it is mm, that it's usually beneficial for the most part for people to find a therapist that is closely identifiable with them? Like, you know, again, and me as a black male, would you say that I would benefit more? from finding another black male or black gay male. You yeah. Know? Um, uh, I don't think that's my place to, to say. I think mm -hmm. it really depends on the individual, mm -hmm. right? For me, um, my therapist is an older black woman, mm -hmm. right? And that's because I think about my inner child and mm -hmm. my inner child who had a deep relationship with his grandmother, mm -hmm. who like, who understands the value of like, um an older woman in their experience mm -hmm. but i value that more some individuals might value having a gay black therapist right mm -hmm. based off of their identity um so i really it just really depends on the individual yeah got you but i would say though like my first therapist was a white woman when i lived in new york and i was talking to, <laughs> i remember it was my set my fourth session and i was talking about my sister and I was like, yeah, you know, my sister's talking to this fuckboy and to this and that. <laughs> and the therapist stopped me and she was like, can you explain what a fuckboy is? And I was like, yeah, no, this is not going to work. If I can't express myself and I have to educate you around the language that I'm using, mm -hmm. you're not the therapist for me. And that let me know that I couldn't have a white woman therapist. Got you. Yeah. Was she older or younger? She was older. Okay, that's understandable. Yeah. I thought at first, like, oh, I'll just get, like, an older woman mm -hmm. as a therapist. And I was like, no, you need an older Black woman. Got you. Yeah. So you agree that therapists also need therapists? Oh, absolutely. If your therapist does not have a therapist, you that's concerning, right? If you're mm -hmm. constantly taking on trauma and negative energy, but mm -hmm. you're not releasing that and, while dealing with your own shit in your own life, oh, mm -hmm. no, for sure. Because would you say like on an average week, often do you see your, your own therapist? I see my therapist once a month now at this point. Okay. Yeah. I've done lots of work. <laughs> I know that's right. Yeah. So I'm I'm good. So most of the time I talk about my clients in my therapy session. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels like supervision at the same time. And mm -hmm. then I bring in some of my personal stuff. But now I just go to therapy just to talk my shit. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you're able to like compartmentalize all of the heaviness that comes in or do you just like drop it or not even it doesn't even attach to you when you're with your clients and stuff? When I'm with it really depends on the situation, right? Mm -hmm. And it really depends on um the magnitude of how much it is affecting the client, right? Because I feel like once I see a traumatic event that the client is dealing with and see how much like hurt and pain that they sit in, I, I'm an empath. So I'm all automatically going to go to a place of like, damn, I wish I could do more. Mm -hmm. And when I, once I go to that place, I wish I could do more that lingers, that stays with me. And that feels heavy. Right. But I've gotten a place within my career that I'm also aware that I'm not going to be able to save everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's also acknowledging that piece of it. Like sometimes all I could do is just provide a space for you to express yourself. Got you. Yeah. Look, I feel it because I hear that that's what a lot of people, my mom coming from like the medical field and stuff, and she battled with leaving work at work and not taking it at home. Yeah. 
And then I hear that from people who are psychologists and therapists. I hear that about people who are lawyers, you know, not being too invested and knowing what to compartmentalize and not let it affect your personal life and stuff. And obviously, like you guys are trained at that. So, you know, so. I would say, too, with now me being in private practice, um, my clients aren't as heavy um, as like my um, when I used to do community mental health, mm-hmm. right? Community mental health is a whole different, whole different dynamic. Um, you know, you're dealing with individuals who have severe diagnosis, mm-hmm. so psycho- uh, psychosis um, diagnosis or personality disorders. So you're dealing with a lot of more traits and energy. I think with that type of work, I took that work home because I also understood how fucked up our medical system is and how the disservice and the re-traumatization that happens within mental health and within these services. You know, most of the time, these therapists within these nonprofits, it's one individual to like a 75 client caseload. I cannot do therapy for 75 people within a month and you expect me to show up 100% all the time. Damn. That's impossible. So I feel like it's, it's, yes, it's a service and it's being provided, but is it the best service? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, is it, are we providing the best that we can? Probably not. So me knowing that I took a lot of that home because I felt like I should be doing more for the community, but I knew that I couldn't do more for the community underneath that umbrella. I had to bounce and create my own shit. And was these like mostly like individuals who may have not had insurance and stuff and may have been No, so these are all insurance, Medi-Cal okay. insurance. So it's your number to a certain degree. Sheesh. Yeah. Cause is there programs for people who in California at least, are there programs for people who are uninsured to get therapy? Like undocumented in in uninsured or just uninsured in general? Just uninsured in general. Most of the time it's under Medi-Cal or gotcha. Medicare. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I and I saw something about Medi-Cal and everything. Uh, the enrollment period is like coming up at the end of the month or something like that. Mm-hmm. End of January. So get enrolled if you haven't. Because um, no, it's funny you had mentioned like people with personality disorders and stuff like that, and just like with your dating life, have you dated someone who, in your mind, you saw this person is a narcissist or this person potentially has we, we first of all we got to stop using narcissism uh-huh. as like a common description because it's not because it's not it's not it's a real thing y'all it is a real thing not only that but narcissism um ooh, like border uh like textbook narcissism is kanye west mm-hmm. right Thinking of yourself in this like very grandiose way, um, not caring about other people's feelings, um, uh, seeing yourself as a god, as this like higher power, um, being very reckless at the mouth and not caring about other people, just not caring about other people in general. Let's say you and I are in a relationship Mm -hmm. and I'm very sure of myself, which means that I'm constantly going to choose me first. (laughs) And I identify that by choosing me is choosing us, right? If I choose me, that means I'm going to pour into me and be the hundred and make sure that I'm a hundred percent all the time, which then allows for me to be a good partner, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say you don't see that, Mm -hmm. right? And you're like, but you're always choosing yourself. You're only thinking about you. You're narcissistic. You only care about you. 
Mm-hmm. Is that narcissism? No. So we, I think we have to <laughs> we gotta stop using that word. See, because I feel like that about because I think that with pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. We overuse narcissism without understanding that it's a real personality and, disorder. For and yourself. bipolar. Bipolar. Mm-hmm. And also what really fucks me up is uh, when people say, oh, I'm ADD. I don't like that either. Because as somebody who has, you know, been diagnosed with ADHD since I was a kid, it's so annoying to hear people just like throw that out there. Oh, I'm ADD. I just can't focus. I, oh, and it's like, no, like people who actually go through that, like, I mean, it follows them throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. I can tell you if I had a camera in my apartment, just like the back and forth and like putting down things and picking up things and halfway to the couch and going back and stuff and zipping in and running around, just that footage would be like, oh, wow. Like bring back true life on MTV. Remember that show? Mm-hmm. Put me on true life. I have ADHD or ADD. And, and put my little ring camera in my apartment. I think the reason why people use that so much is because I feel like general society right now, where our general society has been operating in a place of constant uh, readjustment, mm-hmm. where we're constantly having to adjust to like new shit all the time, right? Which then creates this like anxious behavior or anxious mindset. Like, okay, I have to show up like this right now, but I know that this is going to change in a few months and then have to change again. So I feel like we're always in this adjustment period. And I feel like some of those traits come across as ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I think that symptoms can be similar, but we have to stop using actual diagnosis to describe the symptoms. Y'all listen to that. That pisses me off so bad. Because <laughs> like I say, those three things. It could be their truth. What if it that is their truth? True. And we don't want to, you know, minimize their experience and stuff. But yeah, those three things like really just rattle me up and stuff or whatever. But um, like I say, like. If you could put the mirror to yourself mm-hmm. as a therapist, how do you think? Do you want me to answer the question now? The, the question was, have I dated someone yeah. who who had a mental health disorder? Yes, that you, in your head, at least pres- like described or and diagnosed that, oh, something could be going on here. Um, yes, I've actually dated. I've been in a relationship with someone who has an actual mental health disorder. Mm. And I think during the time of our relationship, we both weren't fully aware that the diagnosis was there or the symptoms were there. I was in... Yeah, I was still living in New York at the time. And um, after the breakup, that's when they were diagnosed and dealt with the symptoms. And it all made sense afterwards. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you think it's like dating you as a therapist? Like, obviously, people have their their own things of why they may find you intimidating. And it may not even be knowing your career. Mm-hmm. But when they do know your career, do you think that some people may be a little bit antsy, you know, walking on pins and needles? Like, let me not do too much because he might think that, like, something wrong with me. I hope not. I hope that's not the perception. Hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, dating, I feel like if I were to date me, I know I'm a lot. Mm -hmm. Right? I know that 
um, yeah, I know that I'm a lot. I know that it's not that I require a lot. Um, I know that I'm just a lot in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need someone very sure of themselves because I'm very sure of myself um, for it to potentially work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm loving. I'm caring. I like to communicate. I'm an individual that's like, yo, we got an issue. Let's sit down and talk about it. Right. We don't have to blow up. I want to. I feel like another reason why relationships sometimes don't work within the queer community, because I feel like we go into these difficult conversations thinking that we have to win the conversation. And it's not about winning. It's about understanding your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I acknowledge that. So like going into, you know, relationship, I always want these conversations to be a space where we both come and acknowledge that we're going to like understand each other and not trying to win mm-hmm. the conversation. Um, even though I, you know, sometimes agreeing to disagree is, is good for the relationship or having, mm-hmm. you know, disagreements are good for the relationship. What's really important is about the repair piece. Yep. Um, but dating me, um, I'm adventurous. I like to take risks. Like let's live big. Okay. We only got <laughs> one life to live baby. And I want it to be a fucking movie. I love that. What movie would you want it to be? Um, I don't know, but you know, I I've been thinking about this dynamic. I did a shroom trip not too, not so long ago, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there just thinking about like when I'm seventy years old, mm-hmm. I want to be on a rocking chair mm-hmm. and be like, damn, I remember when I was 33, 34, shaking my ass, living my life. Yep. But also, I also want to reflect back and be like, I remember all the loves that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that my dad told me, and my dad, is he'll be 76 this year, but that's one thing he told me, especially when I moved out to LA a decade ago. He's like, make those memories and those experiences matter and count as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Because when you are a granddaddy in your rocking chair, sitting on the couch and your grandkids are wondering like why are you smiling to yourself and stuff they may think oh grandpa a little crazy Mm -hmm. he a little senile something like that but really you're just thinking back to when you were in your 20s or when you were in your 30s and just living life just as a younger person and doing those things so that's been just like a mantra of mine and especially coming from an elder like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to him. Yeah. 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 One thing the pandemic definitely taught me is that all this shit could be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. And if all my shit was taken away tomorrow, I want to be content with I've had a good fucking life. I know that's right. I love that. See, and you're a fellow fire sign, too. So, like, mm-hmm. you get it. Mm-hmm. See, y'all. <laughs> So much has been poured into this episode. You really blessed us this week. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate it all. Like, thank you for like going into a lot of like the details of what this looks like from, again, from a professional standpoint and not just me or whoever talking about whatever that we're just learning along life, but also just like, from an educated standpoint and experienced mental focus of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for providing that insight for us because it's needed. It's needed. I'm sure a lot of us like learned a lot from it. So yeah, definitely thank you for, for providing that. For sure. Of course. And I'll end with uh, my quote of the year. 
Okay. My quote of the year is, whatever you are not changing, you are choosing. I like your quote of the year. See, my it's, quote of the year is different, but I like yours. What's your quote? Fuck around and find out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> True. Valid. Valid. That That's a valid quote. Fuck around and find out for sure. And that's in every, like, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Because last year, my listeners, they remember my quote was, we gonna see. Because mm-hmm. I was really like, I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen, but we gonna see. But I like yours. It's, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think that when we look at situations or if we're not happy about something, mm-hmm. we have to ask ourselves, if we're not going to change this dynamic, then we have to be content with us choosing it. Then you're ultimately choosing it. Mm. Whatever you are not changing, you are choosing. Well, y'all listen to Eric on his, his this year's quote. But also, I mean, again, understand that you fuck around, you find out as well. There's balance to both. Mm-hmm. I like that. Oh my God. So duality, duality, which <laughs> I love me some duality, y'all. Um, but again, for all the nudists all around, how can we find you? How can we reach out to you and tell you thank you? Yes, of course. So you can follow me on Instagram at Eric the Baddest Therapist. So that's E R I C K D A B A D D E S T T H E R A P I S T. Um, and then also uh, my website, which is www.edevadistherapist.com. Y'all heard it and make sure to subscribe to Nude Radio, streaming on all platforms where you can hear a podcast. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter under the same handle at Nude Radio 101. And also reach out to me at Kenny Heflin on Instagram and check us out. Let us know how you loved it. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Bye, y'all.